0: tonight, if you would, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. How many children do we have here tonight? Very good. Now, some of you got that right. All of us are children, aren't we? You're children of somebody, hopefully. Well, if you're not, then you're going to miss a whole big portion of this message tonight. Ephesians, chapter 6, if you look there, please. Uh, We're ready to begin this Uh, sixth and final chapter in this great study, and I I don't know how long it's going to take us to finish the sixth chapter, but I promise you that we are going to take an in-depth look at this, just as we have all the other chapters in Ephesians. And I've tried to make it very clear to you as we've gone through this study that right doctrine will yield right practice. So it's very important for us just to get down and look at all the doctrinal aspects that the Apostle Paul has to teach here. And uh, if we learn these principles and learn them well, we will be able to develop good practices. Well, as we begin the fifth chapter tonight, uh, there's not really a necessary chapter division here because these first few verses of chapter 3... Uh, fit or Chapter Six, rather fit very well right back in at the end of Chapter Five, where Paul is talking about uh, the family and the church, and the theme is basically the same here, and the underlying doctrinal teaching that we have here is is the church itself marriage family that 's emblematic of the church, and God gave us marriage to help us to understand church relationships better. But then also he gave us uh, the church so that we might understand the family better. And so you sort of have to put those two things together because a correct understanding of the relationship that Christ has to his church is integral to us understanding the right relationships that we are to have in our families and how we can operate our homes. So, so far in our study of the home, we've had a couple of lessons about submission of wives and also a lesson about loving husbands. Then we moved into a a two-week study about the Christian's relationship to the church. Now, we're ready this evening to take up another part of the study which deals with the role of children in the home. So tonight we're discussing principles for obedient children. Next week, we'll talk about principles for instructive parents. Then finally, we're going to end this sort of little mini-series that we have here on different principles as we talk about principles of the workplace. But all of these different subjects that we've been talking about over the past few weeks tie back into Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, where Paul tells us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And a person who is a Spirit-filled Christian is one who has all of these different areas of his life worked out. He has these things in order. And to the degree that he doesn't have these things in order, it will affect him in the filling of the Spirit. Well, I'd like for you to stand, if you would, please, as we read God's Word tonight. Our text verses are Ephesians chapter 6, verses number 1 through 3. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you might help us as we study tonight to learn something, give us some things that we can apply to our lives. And Lord, we do want to be spirit-filled Christians, so speak to us through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever had problems with your kids? That's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? I mean, we, we associate children with problems. And if you, you've got kids that, that don't give you problems, then I, I don't know what you've done right. But please instruct all the rest of us so we can learn what the secret of that is. Uh, someone has said that uh, hered- uh, insanity is hereditary. You get it from your kids. And I think a lot of times that, that's very much true. Kids do drive us crazy much of the time. One statement that someone has made is, is that the, the, toughest things, the toughest thing that a parent can do is raise children. And that's another bonehead statement because you, you, to be a parent, you have to have children. So that doesn't even make any sense. And Paul naturally here, he, he has to talk about parenthood and he has to talk about childhood because... Everybody in here, we we are a child of somebody, and some of you missed that a minute ago, but we're all a child of somebody, and we're all going to be, or most of us, sometime in our life, are going to become parents. And you would think that with all of this experience, and all of this time that there's been, a the passed in this world, that surely this problem of raising children, we have that all worked out, everything would run smoothly, there would never be a problem, but that's simply not the case. I mean, how, how much time has passed in this world and we still haven't gotten this problem of raising children correctly completely worked out? And we need make no mistake about this, folks. Things are really messed up. I mean, the family is in more disarray in the world today than it's ever been at any other time. Things are continually getting worse year after year. If you were to work in our school here, if you had uh, connections with some school, you could see that. That discipline has become a problem. It gets worse and worse all of the time. And the real key to that, the real problem uh, that we have, uh, this lack of discipline and and lack of obedience in in our schools today is because that people have gone away from biblical principles about raising children. We've just forgotten what the Word of God has to say about how we're to raise our kids. Now, parents have great responsibilities when it comes to raising kids, and we're going to talk about that next week. So I I don't want you to misunderstand, though, as we talk tonight, children also have responsibilities. So we're going to talk about those responsibilities tonight. And we're going to start with what I think that the Bible describes as the lifelong duty of children. The lifelong duty of children And I call it a lifelong duty because as long as we live, none of us are going to stop being children. Now, uh, I think that sometimes children would like to divorce their parents. And amazingly, that that scenario has been played out in our courts in our country. Uh, We do have laws that allow for legal emancipation. I don't want to talk about all those kinds of issues tonight and don't want to get into that. But I I do want to tell you that no matter what age that you finally do get out from under your parents and out from under parental control, you are always going to remain children of your parents. And the Bible says that it doesn't make any difference how old that you are. You still have responsibilities to your parents. Well, the very basic rule for how children are to be in the home and live in the home comes in one simple word, and it's the word Obedience. No matter what culture that you live in, no matter what part of the world that you're in, no matter what time period that we might be talking about, no matter what religion that you practice. doesn't make any difference if we're talking about the modern world or the ancient world. It's always been known and it's always been practiced that children are to be obedient to parents. And when Paul explained about marriage relationships between the husband and the wife, he went all the way back to the very beginning, and he explained it this way. He said, I am just telling you to do what is very foundational. I'm taking you back to the very beginning, and we went all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we talked about foundational principles. And obedience to parents is the very same thing. Not to obey is to break a foundational and natural principle that's been instilled in all of us. Well, looking at this from a biblical perspective, here in Ephesians 6, verse 1, the Scripture says that we are to obey, children are to obey because it is right. And if you need just a concrete, simple, little explanation as needed as possible, reason to obey, God says this is right. In other words, God is saying here that this is righteous, and you don't have to look for psychological reasons. You don't have to go into this and explore the deep recesses of the mind and try to figure out all the uh, long-range effects of what God says here. He just simply says this is right. And when God says that it's right, it means that this principle is based upon His standard of righteousness. And so this declarative statement that He makes, this alone settles it, and this is what makes it right. And for a child, the primary reason for that child to obey is not just because it's pleasing to the parents, and not because it might be good for their rear ends if they, if they do obey, but because, in particular, this is pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so the primary meaning of that phrase is, this is for the Lord's sake. And so obedience to parents is reflective of obedience to the Lord. Well, principles of obedience, of course, would be good for all children. doesn't make any difference whether they're saved or lost. But we do need to recognize here that Paul is addressing saved people. He's talking to the church at Ephesus, and the principles for wives and husbands and the principles of the the church relationship will never result in Holy Spirit filling unless, of course, that person does have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's primarily talking here to Christian families. And for those of you in our congregation, some of you younger ones, that you're still in the home, uh, you're still under your parents, I can tell you right up front that when your parents tell you to obey, you're not just following their directive. It's not just that you're following what your parents say, but the Bible is very clear about this, that you are also following what God says. And so not to obey your parents is the same thing as saying that I'm not going to obey the Lord. I'm going to be in a rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a principle, you obey the Lord because it's right. Now, the problem here, one of the problems, I think, is that parents really take the issue too lightly themselves. They don't really understand how serious that the issue is. Now, I want you to turn just a minute to Romans chapter 1. But parents uh, take this thing too lightly, and parents do not take appropriate measures in order to make their children obey them. And this is a very serious sin, according to the Word of God. Now, Paul makes a statement about it in Romans chapter 1. He's talking here, and he gets into a list of... Of sins that he, that he speaks of and he begins here in verse number 18 if you look at Romans chapter 1 verse number 18 he says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness and then in those next verses Paul goes in to the foolishness of men who, who have rejected God and he says these people make idols that they worship and then he goes into this long list of sins that are committed by God rejecting heathens. And it's an amazing thing, some of the sins that show up in this list. Now let's go and look at verse number 29. It says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, and merciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now in the middle of that list we find there he says disobedient to parents. And the conclusion that he comes to in the end of that list is they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now that seems like a very serious thing to me. It's a very serious problem when children disobey parents and when parents allow their children to disobey them. Now obviously Paul is not telling us here that if your children disobey you, you ought to kill them. If that was so, then none of us would be here tonight. And, and Adam's progeny would never would have lived beyond that first generation. But what it does point out is the very seriousness of this issue. I mean, obedience to parents is a very serious, a serious biblical issue. And so if you're looking for a reason why any child ought to obey, do this because it is right. And any parent who is lax in their discipline, that they refuse to discipline their child, that they they permit that disobedience, then what you're actually doing, you are fostering what the Bible calls one of the most heinous sins that can be committed. It's not pleasing to the Lord, and it's not right, neither for the child to disobey or for the parent to allow disobedience. Now, before I move on from that first point... I also want to to point out that this is reflective of the relationship that all of us have to our Heavenly Father... Now, if you miss that point, you've really missed the whole intention of the passage, I think. God is our Heavenly Father, and we have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always in perfect obedience to His Father. Everything that the Father asked Him to do, He completed every task to perfection. And all through His life, He, he earned the righteousness that could be imputed to us that God counts as our righteousness. And so obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is an important piece of this. But it's not just what Jesus did in his public ministry. You see, Jesus didn't start being a perfect person when he turned the age of 30. Jesus was perfect all of his life. Now, if we go back to the childhood of Jesus, we find an incident in his life when he was 12 years old. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2, if you would, and we're going to read about this. You know, there, there really is nothing written in the Word of God about the childhood of Jesus except the account of his birth and this one incident that we have here in Luke chapter 2 that happened when he was 12 years old. But this one incident, this is indicative of the entire life, the entire childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is in Luke chapter 2, verse number 41. It says, "...now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover." And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, "'How is it that you sought me? "'Wished ye not, or didn't you know "'that I must be about my father's business?' "'And they understood not the saying "'which he spake unto them. "'And he went down with them and came to Nazareth "'and was subject unto them, But his mother kept all these sayings in in her heart. Now, there are two things that are particularly notable there about Jesus' obedience. The first one we see is that he was obedient to his heavenly father. It says that he was about his father's business. But perhaps the most remarkable thing in this passage is what we read in verse number 51. It says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Now, here you have... The all-powerful Son of God. Even at 12 years old, Jesus possessed the power to put all men under his authority. Anytime that he wanted to do that, he could have done it. All men should have been subject to him. And yet, at 12 years old, he willingly subjected himself to the human authority of Mary and Joseph. Now, doesn't that say it all to us? Jesus set an example And he demands our obedience just as he gave his own. Now, do you see here what Jesus is doing? He subjected himself to God's delegated authority. Now, we talked about this when we first started speaking about submission some weeks ago, that God delegates authority in different areas in our lives. And one of those authorities that God has delegated is that of the parents. The parents have authority in the home. Now, Jesus is showing us a principle here that we all ought to submit ourselves, subject ourselves to God's delegated authority. And so that's why uh, Jesus, being a child of the Heavenly Father, yet he was willing to subject himself to Mary and Joseph because that was his authority in that home. Now, secondly, we see here that obedience is required, But then Paul goes on to speak about the duty of honor. And he gives a reason here why children ought to honor their parents. And his reason is, you honor because it is rewarding. Honor because it will reward you. Now, honor is is speaking about the attitude of obedience. And that means that uh, children are to hold their parents in the highest regard. Honor speaks of value. I mean, the things that we value, those are what we give the most respect. And the Ten Commandments gives us an injunction on honor. The Fifth Commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that, it may be, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, honor for parents is the foundation of respect in all other areas of life. Children that do not respect the authority of their parents will neither respect authority in other places. And that's the whole reason why we have so much trouble in our schools today. Why is there so much disobedience? Because children have not gotten this foundational aspect of respect for authority in the home. And so when they go to school, they have no respect for their teachers. They have no respect for any authority that's put over them. Now, what I'm saying here, then, is that if parents do not discipline, and if they do not create respect for authority in the home, then it's not going to be shown elsewhere. The foundation has to be established in the home. Now, I think there may be some of you that have been in the military, and uh, you may recognize this, especially if you've been uh, perhaps in the Marine Corps. Uh, you've probably seen young men who came out of homes where they had no respect for authority, and when they get into the Marine Corps, what does the Marine Corps do? Well, they break the will of that person, and they take that person, and, they, and they, they break his spirit. They break him down, and they show him, you've got to have some respect for authority. And many times when those people come out of the Marine Corps, out of the armed services, they have a newfound respect. They begin to respect authority, and you also find sometimes that they find a new respect for even their parents. And the issue of this thing is honor. They've learned what it means to be honorable. And a person who is honorable is one who will also respect those who deserve their honor. Now, it's an interesting thing that in this part of the command given in the Ten Commandments is that we usually group this fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, we usually group that with the second division of commandments. Now, you've heard it said many times before that uh, God gave us the commandments and he divided them into two different sections. The first four commandments deal with man's relationship with God. And then the next six commandments, they deal with man's relationship to other men. And so naturally we think we ought to uh, group this fifth commandment in with that second division. This is the relationship of man to man. But if you look at this, and and you look at it under the Jewish grouping and the way that they did it, they grouped the fifth commandment with those first four, and they considered this to be a part of man's relationship with God. And the reasoning for it is, is that disobedience to parents is also spiritual rebellion. Now, I think that we could easily uh, extrapolate that from what we just read over here about Jesus and his parents. Not to obey his parents, he understood that that was to reject the authority of God. And so that was spiritual rebellion, disrespect, lack of honor for the Heavenly Father. That is spiritual rebellion against him. But then Paul goes on, and he adds something else to the statement about honor. He quotes that fifth commandment, and then he makes the statement. He says, this is the first commandment with promise. So that's where the reward comes in. This particular commandment contains a promise. So we honor because it's rewarding. It's a little bit hard for us to figure out what Paul means by this when he says, this is the first commandment with promise because none of the other commandments contain a promise. Six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, there aren't any promises attached to any of those commandments. So what does he mean when he says, first commandment with promise? Well, there's definitely a promise that's attached to it. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that this means that it's the first commandment in rank. And his reasoning is that if you break this commandment, when this commandment is destroyed, what happens is you have the whole collapse of society. And so God reinforces this commandment, and he added a promise to it. Now, what is that promise? Well, it's in verse number 3. It sums up the ending of Exodus 20, verse 12. That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And so the Bible is telling us, if this promise, if this command is obeyed, God gives the promise that we will have a long life. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'll live to be 80 instead of 75? Does it mean if I'm extra good at keeping this commandment, I'll live to be 90 instead of 100, or live to 100 instead of 90? Is is that what it's talking about? Well, you might live a long time, but I would say not necessarily so. Now, generally speaking, it's true that honor and obedience, that, that is conducive to living a longer life. But what this really means here is that you will live a happy and a blessed life. In God's reckoning of time, he's saying that you are going to live out the best of your days. And God's going to give you a greater capacity to enjoy your life to the very fullest. You know, I've known people that were very godly and they died at a young age. But young and old, that's just, just, that's just reckoning in our accounting of time. That's not the way God counts it. In God's eyes, he looks at this as a, a full age and a good age is when God has given you the capacity to enjoy your life to the very fullest. So that's a promise that God gives. Obey this commandment, and you'll enjoy your life to the very fullest. Now, before we go on then to the next part of the message, I kind of want to tie this all back to the primary point that I was making about the lifelong duty of children. The lifelong duty for our entire lives, no matter how old that we are, is to honor our parents. And that means way beyond the time that we've left their home. We're to honor them all throughout our life. Now, Jesus illustrated that principle in Mark chapter 7. I want you to turn to Mark 7, if you would, for a moment. And uh, you'll recognize this passage because uh, Jesus and his disciples had just been accused of, of breaking Jewish tradition. And the Jewish tradition said that you must wash your hands before you eat. But Jesus' disciples hadn't done that. Now, mind you, of course, that wasn't Mosaic commandment. There's nothing in the laws of Moses that said you have to wash your hands before you eat. I mean, that might be a pretty good idea. But but these uh, Jews, they had added that to all the things that they had to do. So it was one of those hyper-fundamental preferential rules that they added to their religion. So Jesus answered their question, the Jews' question, by raising his own issue. He says, why do you worry about all these extra rules while at the same time you go on and you break the unequivocal commands of Moses? And so he reprimands them for all their silly traditions, but then he also caught them in a higher principle here, and this particular one's pertinent to our study tonight. Now notice verse number 9 of chapter 7. And he said unto them, full well, Ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye shall, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, the Jews had also made up a rule that said that if they had dedicated their money to the temple, then they couldn't use that money for any other purpose. And so they used that as a rule. that That they wouldn't support their parents. If their parents had a need, then they would say, well, I can't give you any money. I can't help you out because all of my money has been dedicated to God. And the word korban there that we read in the verse, that simply means dedicated. We've dedicated this to God. And so what the Jews were doing then, they were using that as an excuse to circumvent all of their charitable giving. But Jesus then nails them on these, all these nonsensical man-made rules that they had. And then he also teaches them in this that no matter how old that we are, we're to honor our parents. And if our parents are needy, then we're to help them. Now, too many children today, they forget what their parents did. They forget their parents that raised them. And when their parents need some kind of help, when they need financial help, when they need emotional help, Their children just forget all about them and won't have anything to do with them. Well, part of honoring your parents is to love and respect your parents for your entire life. And you're to be there for them just like they were there for you. Now, your parents brought you into the world. And what you need to do, you need to help them as they leave this world. And by that, I don't mean that you're to, you know rush them out so you get their, get their life insurance. That's not what I mean at all. But you're to take care of your parents in their later years. That's a responsibility for children. Well, let's go on here to the next part. I'm going to try to make this part brief here. And uh, we have the lifelong duty of children. Secondly, we have the life-learning demeanor of children. The natural attitude and demeanor of all people is one of rebellion. Now, we know that we ought to obey. I said that's a principle that's been instilled in us from the very beginning. But all of us have this self-centeredness. All of us have a rebellious spirit. And we all act that out. And we all know it. We've all seen it. I mean, you just leave a child alone for a while. And you don't discipline a child. They don't pick up principles of obedience. And when you test a child by saying to him, No, no. When he learns what no means, he comes to understand he doesn't like no. And so that child will begin to test you. And he'll see how strongly that you're going to enforce the word no. So you never have to teach kids to lie, cheat, steal. The human nature teaches them that just fine, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, But there are some things that children need to learn as to why parents tell them no. Now, there's some very simple statements that I think that kids need to understand... Uh, and also some of you parents might help you a little bit if you're having struggling with the area as well. So I'm just going to give you now, in the end of this message, three just three statements that you need to remember, uh, children need to remember, by why parents say no. Now, the first statement is, please me now or pay for it later. As you go through life, what you do right now will come back on you. Now, if you do something that's wrong... You know, when you're young and you're under your parents' authority, you do something wrong and and, uh, you're going to pay for that. And you may pay for that with a spanking. And let me just stop right there and add this because it's going to come up later again. Yes, parents, you should spank. And the reason I say you should spank is because the Bible tells you to do it. I mean, that's a principle of God's Word. And you take parents who think, oh, no, you know, that's cruel, unusual punishment to spank a child. And so they use psychology and they use their timeouts and their little speeches that they give them and try to tell them, oh, that's so bad for you to do that. Well, you just figured out right now, here's what's going to happen to you. Your kids are going to turn out to be brats. God says to spank because that's the way it needs to be done. You know, Dr. Spock wrote a book, but God wrote the Bible. Dr. Spock, you know, he had an adulthood of experience. But let me tell you something. God has eons of experience with this. And he knows exactly what we need to do to raise our children. So as you get older, though, you're not likely to get spanked. But you're still going to pay for things that you do wrong. If you go to college and you don't do your homework, well, they don't spank you. They just flunk you out of school. And when you get a little bit older and you get into drinking and things like that, when you get arrested, they don't spank you but you're going to get thrown in jail probably for doing it. And then when you get a job and you go to work and you don't show up for work on time, you miss your curfew like you did at home, they don't spank you. They're just going to get rid of your sorry rear end. So you're going to pay for what you do. Whatever happens to you now, whatever you do now, if you're disobedient in any area of life, you're going to pay for that. So you're supposed to do what you ought to do now or you're going to pay for it later and you'll find out those of you children that are here, that when you grow up, that there are a lot of areas that you are not going to get a second chance. Now at home, mom and dad might give you a second chance when you mess up, and most likely they will. But when you get out in the world, nobody owes you a second chance. And so when you mess up, you have to pay for it. The second statement I want to make is what hurts now will help later. Now I spoke a moment ago about the word no, You know, some teenagers think that their parents came programmed, pre-programmed with a no button. You ask and your parents say, no. And you ask again, no. But mom and dad, I really want to, no. But mom and dad, life for me will, will end if I don't get to date this boy or that girl. And your parents say, no. Well, why are they doing that? Well, they're trying to teach you a principle. They know something that you don't know, and those things are going to help you later. So when your parents say no, it might hurt you right now, but what they're trying to do is save you some heartache down the road. You know, I remember when our kids were little, uh, when they got to crawling age, you know, they liked to crawl around on the, wall, uh, crawl around on the floor, and uh, they, they watch parents and see what parents do, and they see you go over there, you know, and you, you stick something in the outlet on the wall, You plug something into the outlet. And those little kids watch you and they figure, well, I think that I'd like to stick things in the outlet too. And so that's why, you know, you go to homes and a lot of them, when they have little toddlers, they have a little dummy plug that goes in there so the kids can't stick anything in it. But that little kid, little baby comes crawling along the floor and heading for that outlet and he's got a fork in his hand. And you see that little child going up there. And what do you do? You run over to the child and you say, you know, let me help you with that. You see, if you turn the fork this way, it goes in a lot better. Well, you don't do that. You run over to the child and you smack his hand. and say, no. And that child looks up at you and he says, you are the meanest person that I have ever... I can't believe this. I really need to stick this fork in that outlet. Well, I say no because I have some experience that that little child doesn't have. I've been lit up a few times. And you know something, kids... When your parents say no, they, they do it because they've been lit up a few times. They, they've gone through some mistakes that they don't want to see you make. They're wiser than you are. You may not believe it, but your parents are wiser than you are. And so when they say no to you, that may hurt you now, and you may really want to do it, but it's going to help you later. Now, the third statement is this. Learn, then leave. Now, Brother Dalton has been trying to get that across for several years, And uh, he finally succeeded here in one case at least. But, you know, children get their training in the home and then they're ready to get out there on their own. I really don't think it's the goal of most parents to kick their kids out of the house. And you don't really, except Dalton, and you really don't have those... uh, You really don't have all these rules that you make in your house to tie your children down and just to to, keep them in that kind of subjection. You don't let them do anything. You don't really do it for that. But the reason that you do it is because you want to give them principles to live by. And so that when they get out on their own, they can begin to apply those same principles. So most of us really don't want to, to kick our kids out. I mean, I would have gladly held on to my kids a little bit longer. But when it's time to go, it's a parent's job to successfully launch that child out into the world, and hopefully they've learned enough at home that they'll know to go right. You know, it's kind of like a mother eagle. Uh, The way that a mother eagle trains her little eaglet to fly, she takes that little eaglet and she nudges him up there to the edge of the nest and she pushes him out. And that little eaglet goes straight down. And the mother comes and she swoops underneath him catches him on her back, takes him back up to the nest and puts him right back in. Then she does it again. She pushes him off the side again, and there he goes. He's plunging out there. And then the mother comes down. She swoops under. She catches him and takes him back up in the nest again. And she does that over and over and over again until that little eaglet learns that with precision and with coordination, it can stretch its wings out there and it begins to fly. Well, you see what the mother eagle has done. She has permitted that little eaglet to do some things, but to do them with control. Now, that's what your parents are doing for you teenagers. They're going to permit you to do some things, but they want you to remain under their control so that finally you'll learn what you're supposed to do. And then hopefully when you get outside of the home, you'll begin to make the very choices that you ought to make, to make the right choices, good choices, and of course, that's why it's so incumbent upon parents to teach their kids rightly, tell them to do what's right, because when they get out there, they're going to practice what they learned in their homes. So this is, what, this is what it's all about. I mean, we correct our children, we teach our children, so that finally, when we're ready to release them out into the world, then they know the way that they're supposed to go. So this is what parents are doing. They're trying to teach you about life. So as they're giving you your life lessons... The main thing that we come back here that Paul is trying to teach us is that you honor and respect your parents, and that is the very thing that's going to make you the happiest throughout all of your life. It's the very best lesson that you can ever learn to honor your father and your mother. You, you learn to do what's right, and then when you're ready to leave, you'll go out there and do what you're supposed to do, and hopefully you'll make the right choices in your life. To honor your parents, the Bible says, is to honor God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is righteous to obey them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, good lessons that we learn from your word. Lord, you, you always know the right things. You, you always give us the right direction. And if we would just simply learn to obey you and walk in the right path, and do it just like you say to do it, we know that we're going to find success. Bless us in this invitation tonight, Lord. Help us to dedicate ourselves to you, both as children and parents, to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.